Welcome to America's Pal. I'm your host, Darren White. That's right. This is the number one rated podcast being recorded in my man cave. You can find America's Pal everywhere podcasts like to hang out. That's iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple. You can find us on YouTube, Rumble. Uh, the carrier pigeons are still out with the bird flu. No word yet on when they might launch. Um, typically, I like to infuse quite a bit of humor into this program. I, I do my weekly news outbreak where we take a humorous look on the events of the week before. I have deadbeat sponsors where, because we don't have any paying sponsors yet, I make them up myself, and there's a lot of humor there. This week, though, is different. I, I couldn't find anything funny this week. The events that happened in Texas last week, the Uvalde uh, shooting, 18 children, two teachers, gunned down in their classroom by an 18-year-old young man who had a lot, of, a lot of problems. And it's happening more and more frequently. And the question keeps coming up. Since Sandy Hook, since the Parkland Douglas High down here in Florida, these things seem to be escalating. And people ask, how can this, how can this happen? Why is it happening so much more frequently? And the answers from the, the, the politicians, from the churches, from all of it, it's all platitudes. It's always, we need more legislation. We need more from the government. We need to harden, we need to harden the targets so that they can't be ex- accessed by these evil people. Well, what, what is making these people evil, and why are they doing such atrocities so much more frequently? It's a question that plagues us, and unfortunately, it's not one that anybody seems to want to even try to answer. I believe that's because the answer is not one that leads to the capital. Those of faith will tell you that the soul of our nation is in jeopardy. And I contend that they're right. But at the same time, why? What is the adversary here? What vessel is plaguing the soul of our nation? And I look back on our society over, I'm 44 years old. I was homeschooled back in the 80s and into the 90s. Because my mom didn't want us to go through that indoctrination. That she wanted the freedom to teach us a biblical worldview. A biblical American view. The faith of our founders. And what sets us apart from all other nation on earth. Well, she took that risk back in the early 80s when she embarked on that journey. And... This was a time when you didn't stand up to the public school system. You didn't stand up to the large private school systems either. It was those were your options, take it or leave it. If not, you can go to jail. DCF was always around the corner and all of the different homeschool groups and different homeschool families that we um, were part of through my childhood 
And before my generation was homeschooled, there's a generation before that was facing almost intimate jail. And that always bothered me as to why. Why couldn't someone in their home educate their own children? Why did the government find it necessary to carry such a heavy hand when it came to educating children, what they learned, how they learned? And you see, my education was one that... uh, it taught us how to think, it taught us deductive reasoning, critical thinking, not just pure compliance or not parroting back dates, times, facts, and things like that. It was, it was how to think, how to research, how to learn, how to develop your own opinion, and then how to develop your own principles. Well, I, is something that the, uh, the, the federal government here in America, which is odd that here in our American government, seemed to despise. But I made it through childhood. We grew up, the four of us that were homeschooled, well-educated, at home. And society seemed to crumble farther and farther and farther. So we fast forward to the past few years, several in fact, you go even farther a couple of decades where you go to Columbine, and how did these children get these evil notions, we want to blame video games, and we want to blame the culture, and the music, and superfluous things like that, but I keep thinking, how does this keep happening, where does, where does this keep coming from, and, and People are crying out, there's blood in the streets. And whose hands should that blood be on? They want, they want an answer, but at the same time, they don't want the truth. So this week, that terrible loss of life, I really got to thinking about what, what the cause is. The way my mind works is I'd look more for a solution What is the solution to prevent things like this from ever happening again? Instead of reaching for the platitudes or reaching for uh, a government-based solution or even a a faith-based solution or whatever platitude that kind of puts a Band-Aid on it, the thoughts and prayers notion of of people who really don't want to dig into what's going on. And then it hit me over the weeks before how violently our teachers in our public schools were willing to hang on to their ability to teach certain things in school, to teach immorality, to teach things of a sexual nature to children that are in from kindergarten to, th- to the third grade. And when our governor signed into law, that in class, in, from the curriculum, the curriculum itself, it is to be absent of all, all teaching of anything of a sexual nature to a child from, the age, from kindergarten to the third grade. And it seemed like everybody in Hollywood, everybody on the left, Everybody in the big business, the corporations, the media platforms, all of that lashed out. They, they screamed out this this artificial name called the Don't Say Gay Bill, which it is not. There's nothing in that that says don't, don't say gay. 
doesn't say teachers can't be gay, doesn't say they can't share their their weekends with their class or whatever it might be in conversation. The fact of the matter is, is that there's no reason to sexualize a child before the third grade, and I contend it should be longer than that. But everybody went absolutely insane, castigating the religious right. They clung on to this. Disney got on board, and here in Florida, you don't mess with the mouse. Well, our governor did. Made them take a stand on what, what is it that Disney wants here in Florida. Is it grooming? Is it indoctrination? Or is it simple education? You know, last week it came out that in third grade, the test scores came back, reading test scores. Only 53% of our third graders here in the state of Florida can read at a competent level. In third grade, at the same time, Disney is screaming, the left is screaming, Hollywood is screaming that these kids need to learn who to have sex with, how to have sex, but they can't read. So what is the basic function of education these days here in America? Is it indoctrination? Or is it education? Because the children today, high school graduates can't read. They can't function with basic math. And we're concerned about what we're going to, what our schools can indoctrinate them with. You tell me where the priorities are. And then we start asking, well, why is that? I started looking into... I've been looking into for a couple of years now this critical race theory notion. And originally when it came out, if you went to the, the Black Lives Matter website, they said that they were an, a Marxist organization. And their ideals were to dissolve the nuclear family. This was on their website. They took it down when people started noticing it. But then you look at the critical race theory teaching that's in all of our curriculums. And if it's not called critical race, race theory, they change it to something else. But what are the roots in that? If you, if you listen to uh, the, the pastor, his name is Vody Bauckham. Vody Bauckham. He goes into great detail about what critical race theory actually is. And its roots are in cultural Marxism. The absence of God, the absence of salvation, the absence of redemption at all. If you're born one color, you have no redemption. There is no redeeming quality. That is your lot in life. Then, if you're born another, your lot in life is to be persecuted. So this past week, after these horrible things have happened, and then the week before, the week before that, years before that I kept I kept going back to this why does Marxism keep coming up so I decided I would look into it I, I think most people have a cursory notion of what Marxism is and then when you bring up an ism everybody's eyes tend to roll back into their heads and they just kind of nod off okay here they go here's the right going with another ism we're supposed to be worried about well, the problem is, is that Marxism, it is the root cause. 
of what we're facing today. I picked up a book that I've been hearing about. The author's name is Paul Kengor. The title of the book is The Devil and Karl Marx. And I thought, sure, that's inflammatory. But I've heard a couple of interviews with him when he talks about who Karl Marx was, what his ideals were, his stand on faith, the birth of communism through Marxism. So I had been putting off reading this book. But in light of everything that happened, and the reason why God kept telling me, he's like, there's a reason why you need to look into Marxism and learn more about it. It's a difficult read. I'm probably, I, I picked it up Friday afternoon. And I can only read, especially the introduction part or the, the first few chapters where it talks about Karl Marx, <clears throat> who he was as a person, what his thoughts were, what his beliefs were. And it was dark. So dark. And then I, I think about our society today, the darkness that surrounds our society. How it's embraced, it's glorified. And the thing is, is you don't just have to read Karl Marx and uh, Friedrich Engels' masterpiece, if you want to call it that. Their Communist Manifesto that came out in 1848. To understand the purpose of that, you need to read back into especially Karl Marx's own personal writings, and there are thousands of them. There's a fairly well-kept record of his correspondence with his father, his mother, the people that lent him money so that he could survive, his poetry, his plays, his writings. They all paint this picture. And I, I hate to use the word, but it's only there's only one way to describe the heart and mind of Karl Marx, and it is it is evil. So much so that as I'm reading more and more about who this man was, I I could only read about 30 minutes and I'd have to put it down, clear my mind, cleanse the palate. But I kept going back to it because I had to know how does this apply to us today? God says, hey, let Learn about this Marxism. Learn about Karl Marx, who he was. So the past three and a half, four days, I've gone through this difficult immersion trying to understand how this applies to our society. Karl Marx was born in a little town in Germany to Jewish parents. And when he was young, he was raised as a, as a Jew, a religious Jew. And then his, his father decided that he would leave the Jewish faith and that he would convert to the Christian faith. And his father, a thinker, a critical thinker, decided that he would, he would switch to the Lutheran faith because he felt like there was more flexibility. There, were, there was less dogma of one particular way of thinking when it came to faith. He always questioned faith. So the Marx family becomes a Lutheran family in which Carl is okay with in his childhood. 
But then in the years where he was growing up, something changed. Something changed in his heart. He began to take on more of an atheistic view of faith, of God, and it got to the point where it wasn't just that it was atheistic, where I choose not to believe in a God or any God or anything of the nature. It was a hatred of God. So he grows up, he gets older, he begins writing, and he he gets to the point where he becomes more and more fascinated with the things of, of darkness, the darker side. He begins writing poetry and plays that speak of suicide packs. He was fascinated with suicide. And he gets darker and heavier, further away from his family, from God. He goes off to university and escalates from there. But his fascination with the devil, with, with evil, is demonstrated in some of his poetry. He wrote a song, or he wrote a poem or a play called The Fiddler. And it goes a little bit like this. The fiddler saws the strings. His light brown hair he tosses and flings. He carries a saber at his side. He wears a pleated habit wide. Fiddler, why that frantic sound? Why do you gaze so widely round? Why leaps your blood like the surging sea? What drives your bow so desperately? Why do I fiddle, or why the wild waves roar? That they might pound the rocky shore. That I be blinded, that bosom swell. That soul's cry carry down to hell. Fiddler, with scorn you rend your heart. A radiant God lends you your art to dazzle with waves of melody, to soar to the star dance in the sky. How so? I plunge, I plunge without fail, my blood-black saber into your soul. That art God neither wants nor wists, it leaps to the brain from hell's black mists. Till hearts bewitched, till senses reel, with Satan I have struck my deal. He chalks the signs, he beats the time for me. I play the death march fast and free. I must play dark, I must play light, till boasting strings break and my heart outright. The fiddler saws the strings, his light brown hair he tosses and flings. He carries a saber at his side, he wears a pleated habit wide. Frantic he holds her dear, darkly looks in her eye. Pain so burns you, dear, and at my breath you sigh. Oh, you have drunk my soul, mine is yours glow and truth. My jewel, shine your fill. Glow, blood of youth. Sweetest, so pale your face. So wondrous stranger words. See, rich in music's grace, the lofting glidy worlds. Gliding, dearest, gliding. Glowing stars glowing. Let us go heavenwards riding, our souls to have together flowing. His voice muffled low. Desperate he looks about. Glances of cackling flame, his hollow, hollow eyes shoot out. You have drunk poison, love. With me you must stay. The sky is dark above. No more I see the day. Shuddering, he pulls her close to him. Death in the breast, in the breast doth hover. Pain stabs her, piercing deep within. 
and eyes are closed forever. Some might pass that off as a nonsensical pining infatuation with something of the dark side that should be dismissed and ignored. But if you look at the volume of his work, that darkness permeates all of his work, all of his writings. You see, he had a hatred for God. You know, in the other parts of his writings, <clears throat> he spoke to who God really ought to be. And he called his thinking criticism as if it's some forbidden thing. But he says here, criticism has plucked the imaginary flowers on the chain, not in order that man shall continue to bear that chain without fantasy or consolation, but so that he shall throw off the chain and pluck the living flower. The criticism of religion delusions man so that he will think act and fashion his reality like a man who has discarded his illusions and regained his senses so that he will move around himself as his own true son. Religion is the only illusory son which revolves around man as long as he does not revolve around himself. You see, Carl believed that everyone was God, their own God, their own universe, all of their thoughts, all of their inner desires, their insatiable needs, well, they're all justified because it's your universe. You live in your own universe. You are the sun. You are the center of that universe. And all other universes must surround you. And you look at society today and you're like, well, that seems normal here. Everybody has their own truth. Nothing is concrete. There is no definitive truth. Every child, young person, when confronted with an opposing view, they tend to lash out, scream and wail and say, well, that's just not the case. This is my truth. This is my universe. I am God. Well, the fact of the matter is Karl Marx was not God. And neither is every single individual on this planet today. No. We have a creator. And how you choose to worship him or look for his face, that part is up to you. But you don't get to be God. But Karl Marx despised God so much in the fact that he wished to destroy him in every way possible. So he chose government. He replaced God the deity of God, with the individual and the tool he used, the vessel that he carried, this, this new God was economics, which is odd that somebody who had never carried it, held a job in his entire life would be the father of the communist form of economics. He's studied by economists. This man never held a job. His family lived in poverty their entire lives. He leached. He was a parasite off of his father until his father finally denounced him six months before his father died and said, I can no longer send you any money. If you're going to spread this filth, 
Even his father began to despise him. Then he latched onto his mother, who he despised, and bled her dry until she finally said no. So here's the father of economics, of, of the, the communist form of economics. But the economics, I believe, in my view, for Karl Marx, was just a vessel, just a way to transport his militant atheism. See, Karl, Karl didn't just want to despise God in his own way and leave it be. No, he wanted God eradicated from the face of the earth, from all consciousness of mankind. He wanted him eradicated. However you choose to believe. He didn't care if you were Jew. He didn't care if you were Islam. He didn't care if you were uh, Catholic, Lutheran, Protestant, Episcopal. It did not matter to Karl Marx. If you believed in a God, in a creator, you were to be demolished, to be removed, ridiculed. This notion that you are the sun, the universe revolves around you. You look at kids these days. That's kids these days. That sounds old. But you look at the generations, the recent ones, even my age. They all believe that the world revolves around them. And especially in our public schools, they're taught that there is nothing that you can do that is wrong. Everything you're feeling, it's natural, it's healthy. Every outburst is either distracted with some sort of a different reward to redirect, but no consequence. No consequence for hatred, no consequence for bullying, no consequence for the unhealthy nature of mankind where you're feeding just the darkness of your soul. Because there is darkness in all of us, and it is our choice whether or not we feed that or we feed the light, our creator, what we nurture. And when it comes to children, the role of the parent is to establish where the virtue comes from or where the evil comes from. So we go to our schools today, and especially now that things are happening more and more frequently, and I wonder, how would a 17 or 18-year-old young man who's fed his soul with all the things that he's been allowed to, all the other children have been allowed to, without any recourse, without any correction, the word no doesn't mean anything to society today. So through his childhood, he goes through school and he's taught that there is nothing that he does wrong. You are the sun. The universe revolves around you. And then suddenly, 17, 18 years old, he gets thrust out into the real world and finds out that he's just the chattel that Karl Marx needed for the workers for that class of people to produce a much more noble product, which is the greater good. 
Imagine how violently a child like that might react when they find out that they're not God. How would you feel? You might be a responsible adult. You might have a conscience. But see, the soul of our nation has been slowly disappearing. And the younger and younger and younger the generations get, the less and less of a conscience they have. And then all of a sudden they're thrust into a world that says, wait, there are consequences. Your behavior makes you unemployable. It makes you with danger. It makes you a threat. Imagine how violently one might react. See, our founders knew this when it came to government. They knew something that Karl Marx didn't. See, our founders understood that man can't live on bread alone. Just the mere materialistic things that man needs to to survive the day-to-day life. No, our founders knew they also needed the spirit. They needed the ability to worship that their soul meant something. That this time on earth, see, Karl, Karl Marx didn't believe that you had a time anywhere else than right here and right now and you had but one purpose, and that was to serve the greater good. I dare ask Karl Marx, to what greater good are we serving here in our nation today? What greater good is it? Children murdering children. And they do so in the name of their own sadist minds. Where does this thinking come from? What greater good does this serve? What possible good does the chattel of our children serve any greater good? See, our founders knew that man had dignity, that he had rights. Marx disagreed. Our founders were deeply religious men, not all the same faith, not all of the same doctrine, the same dogmas. But they knew that our rights came from God. Now, this is something unique in government. This has never been done in history, in, in, in world history. From the onset of the very first government was a government established where the rights did not come from a monarch or a king, a dictator, a tribe. No, the individual's rights, they came from God himself, and they cannot be separated from man. John Adams said, the moment the idea is admitted into society that property is not as sacred as the laws of God, and there is no force of law and public justice to protect it, anarchy and tyranny commence. If thou shalt not covet and thou shalt not steal were not commandments of heaven, they must be made invoyable precepts in every society before it can be civilized or made free. He also said, tyranny can scarcely be practiced upon a virtuous and wise people. Virtue. This is what Karl Marx despised. Thomas Jefferson said, God who gave us life and liberty and all the liberties of a nation can be thought secure when they have removed their only firm basis. A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. 
Indeed, I tremble when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. I have to wonder if the justice for Karl Marx is here today. John Hancock says, Resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and the social duty of each individual. Continue steadfast and with proper sense on your dependence on God. Nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us. Benjamin Franklin. Yes, that Benjamin Franklin. Whose schools will tell you today was an atheist. He may at times have been more agnostic and noncommittal. But even Benjamin Franklin said, Here is my creed. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped. That was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Rush, another one of our founders, he was good friends with Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. And he was responsible for, in their later years, patching up their friendship. Benjamin Rush said, The gospel of Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rules for just conduct in every situation of life. Happy are they who are enabled to obey them in all situations. Patrick Henry said, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of their other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. You see, the mantra of Karl Marx was the freedom, the separation of church and state. And in that, our founders agreed. A particular state, a, a particular state religion, was forbidden. That was the separation. But not a separation of government from God. Everything in our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, it's all based on a biblical worldview. But Karl Marx, his view on government was purely material. It was simply Give the people what they want and the problem solves itself. Well, here's the problem with Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels' Communist Manifesto. It starts with feudalism. Then it moves to capitalism. And as, as, capitalism, as they are able to diminish capitalism, they're able to usher in socialism. Socialism is the final step to their utopia, which is full communism. But then what? What happens after that? Marx didn't have an answer. Engels didn't have an answer. What happened in societies since 1848, when the Communist Manifesto was uh, published, was that there was no solution. It didn't solve anything. All it did was deteriorate the soul of man, the individual. It made you a useless, a useless human being, but made you a valuable co a collective. You were just a commodity. You were a commodity traded 
from the time you were born to the time you graduated, time you were educated, programmed, to the time you could be more useful and productive for the society, the common good. You see, Marx never saw it come to fruition. But about the time he was dying, the Bolsheviks in, in Russia, this would be 1917, had overthrown the Tsars. And the, Bol- the Bolsheviks, led by Vladimir Lenin, were far more militant. They wanted to, to skip over the steps that Karl Marx felt needed to happen for pure communism to work. That's why the Mensheviks wanted to slow things down. They split their Marxist party in two, the Mensheviks and the Bolsheviks. Vladimir Lenin ended up winning. And he developed what's called Marxist-Leninism. And what Lenin carried over from Marxism is nothing, nothing less than horrific. You see, Lenin understood. He said the economics part of it, it's, it's just a, it's a manipulation tool. It's, a, it's, it's a, a ticket to get on the merry-go-round. But the whole purpose of Marxism was to eradicate God. First thing that Lenin did in Russia, mind you, back in the early 1900s, Russia was massively uh, Catholic in nature. Thousands of Catholic churches, priests, parishes. The Catholic faith was very, very strong in Russia. Lenin spent the next decade or two eradicating faith, imprisoning theologians, priests, members of the clergy, nuns. They were sent to gulags. They were sent to prisons. Because, see, that's how communism works. You don't get a choice. You don't get a choice to disagree with it. If you do, you get sent to a gulag. Then as Lenin passed on, passed his mantle down to Stalin, Stalin continued this force of evil. And it went through Eastern Europe, Romania. I encourage you to look into what Stalin and the Marxist-Leninists did in their experiments, 1949-1951 in Romania, to the priests and the nuns held in the Romanian prisons. And you tell me what greater good could that possibly serve? But see, the Marxist-Leninists, they didn't want it to stop just there in Russia. They didn't want it to leave Germany. Germany had had its hands full with with the Nazis. They didn't want it to stop there. They wanted this, this atheistic worldview to spread and indoctrinate. So around the time that the Allies were liberating France, France was also, the people of France became a majority socialist communist nation. Their ideals Think of the irony. Liberate them from Hitler so they can jump into the Marxist view. 
So the Marxist-Leninists knew that they had to expand. The only way to do that is to infiltrate, to indoctrinate. They did it throughout Europe. They came here in the early 1920s attempting to infiltrate our churches, our schools. One such person, his name was Benjamin Gitlow. He's a founding member of the Communist Party USA. And until 19, I believe it was 34 or 36, he led the Communist Party. He led the indoctrination. The, the propaganda, they would infiltrate churches. Their, their, their big goal was to get the Catholic Church to sway the Catholic Church, who was staunchly anti-communist for some reason. It seems like maybe the Catholic Church knew what was going on in Russia from Moscow. They found that they could infiltrate certain parts of the Catholic Church. But they found it was far easier to get to the Protestants, primarily the Episcopalians and the Methodists. So they started pounding this Marxist ideal this atheist Marxist ideal in our churches, knowing that it would filter into society because here in America, churches, up until that point, were foundational in our societies. Benjamin Gitlow ended up finally rejecting and finding his faith again. And in 1953, July 7, he testified... the committee, the House Committee on the U, the Un-American Activities. He explained how their activities, because you couldn't just come out and say we're part of an atheist organization, we're here to infiltrate your church, what they did was they developed these united front organizations. They found a common cause, the workers, the unions, uh, societal ills. And they form a front, a, a laundering scheme, to where the churches could collaborate with them without being called communists, without being called atheists. Their first directive was to develop <clears throat> the pro-Soviet sentiment in support of the, the, the Soviets. The second was to build up support for the communists and the trade unions, create the organizations and conditions for their capture by the communists. And the third one, and here's, here's where we are today. Third one is to spread the communist propaganda, incite discontent among the people, undermine the loyalty of the American people, and divide them on religion, national, racial, and economic lines. How do they do that? Why? Here's the co-founder of the Communist Manifesto, Friedrich Engels, his thoughts. Housework from cooking to cleaning would become the government industry, as would child care, which would become a communal affair. Mothers and wives would thereby be liberated from the chains of traditional family and economic bondage. Private housekeeping is transformed into social industry. 
The care and education of the children becomes a public affair. Society looks after all children alike, whether they are legitimate or not. Tell me how familiar that sounds. 30 years ago, Hillary Clinton said it takes a village, that the parent doesn't matter. Children today in their schools are taught that the parent is the enemy, the parent is not to be trusted, that it's your teacher that is to be trusted. It is the state. So you have children that don't trust the people they're supposed to love. You have children that believe that they are God. You have children that don't even know what the word no means. You have children that have been coddled. You have children that have been taught, programmed by the federal government, by your state government, by your counties. They have been indoctrinated with this notion that God is dead. They've been doing it for decades. But here we are. We've come to the fruition of that. It's accelerated. People ask, well, why do these things happen so much more frequently now? Problem is, is the American public has gotten comfortable with the notion. You look back just 30 years, the notion of it takes a village. And I, th- I always thought that was something sinister. Because the village isn't just your, your community, your, your people in your church, the people in your neighborhood, the parents that all looked out for the kids. No, no, no. The village that they were talking about was one of a governmental nature. The founders warned us that government too big was a government too dangerous. So why would you say, why would somebody that wants to be elected, highest level in our government, say that it takes a village? certainly wasn't a maternal tone she was taking either. But we've gotten comfortable with the notion that the government just might be the right place to raise our children. Look back at uh, the divisiveness of this communism, and we decry divisiveness. It was devised, and this is throughout the 1920s, the 30s, the 40s, through the 50s, through the the revolution, the, the, the sexual revolution in the 1960s. This was all communist-driven. All of these, these public fronts that people could glom onto as they spin deeper and deeper and deeper into this evil world of Karl Marx. His vision, like I said, was not one of of economic benefit to anybody. If it was, he would have had a solution once he got to the end of their communistic uh, utopia. No, economics was just the vessel to remove God from society because then he could feel good about himself and the dirt that he wished that he could go back to. But we're divided on race, on economics, on liberty, our nation, we're all divided. And all of these divisions, they're ginned up by the notion that there is no God, there is no salvation. It doesn't matter if you do anything about it. You could be as non-racist as you want to be, but unless you're an anti-racist, you're still a racist. As long as the color of your skin isn't that color, then you are still a racist whether you like it or not. 
There is no salvation. And again, I, I, I urge you to think about what a child must feel like when they, when they become, when they begin to become an adult. What it must feel like to find out you're not God. So what must we do to break the chains of this Marxism, of the visions of Karl Marx, his hatred and his evil? We'll see the cause of this bloodshed, the cause of this divisiveness, the cause of all this, an easy one to, to spot if you know what to look for, but the solution is far too more difficult. You see, the tentacles of Karl Marx's hatred has been able to permeate not just our churches, not our government, but our sports, our social lives, what people call justice, this social justice. These aren't, all, these aren't new terms. He was talking about social, social justice in the 1830s. It's all a distraction. But I urge you, the only solution to this is to take up your charge, which is to root out this evil of Marxism that is here. And if, if, if we don't do anything, it will be here to stay. It will dissolve this great nation. Your liberty will all go away. If we squabble over gun control this or, or mental health that, no, how do you root it out? If you're a person that goes to church, if you're a member of a church, if you believe in God and you go to church, then you need to take up your charge. Be looking for the Marxist ideals that will be running through most of the churches here today. These churches that don't teach any doctrine, that don't teach salvation, that don't teach humility, the fallibility of mankind the ones that don't teach redemption. Look for the causes that they're involved in. Look for the money. Where does the money from those churches, where do they donate? And if they donate to any cause that might espouse itself to anything that compares itself to Marxism, then you need to publicly call it out and leave. If you're a Christian that doesn't necessarily go to church on a regular basis, and I suggest that you take your faith public. You may not have to go to church. It's recommended. But the world needs to know where you stand when it comes to faith. When it comes to your government, the infiltration in your government, then you need to primary every single member of whatever political party you espouse to, if they share any of the ideals of Karl Marx, if they overlook it, if they dress it up, or if that's just part of it, or this is how it goes, this is part of doing business, anything that diminishes the value of the individual for the greater good, they need to be primaried, they need to be called as they are, which are heretics, they need to be run out of our government, and we need to be open to letting God back into our government. 
You see, there is a separation of church and state, but there is not a separation of God and state, not in the eyes of our founders and not in our Constitution. So if your church isn't willing to call out their elected officials for what they are, and it is time to call the devil for what the devil is, it is time for your pastors, your clergies, your Sunday school teachers, because Karl Marx is alive and well. He is here. He is roaming the halls of your school. He's roaming your nurseries. He's roaming your libraries. He is roaming up and down every single pew in every single congregation here in the United States of America. It is Karl Marx. He is alive and well today. And our clergy sits on their hands behind their 501c3s. And what do they do? They say, I can't get into politics. We would lose our tax exemption. Guess where that tax exemption came from? It came from Lyndon Johnson that separated the ability of churches to speak to politics. It granted them a tax, uh, tax exemption, but it was Lyndon Johnson himself that knew that if he could control the churches financially. So if your, pastor is, if your pastor is too big of a coward to call out his elected officials, your elected officials, he is supposed to be watching after his flock. That is what God commanded him to do. And if he doesn't have the guts to do it, then you find a minister that will. But until then, you call it out. Now, if you're a parent and you have children in school, this is an area that I failed at. You need to be involved in your school board meetings if, if you have no other choice and put them in this indoctrination camp. You need to be at every school board meeting. And I want to tell you how dangerous it is to be a parent who calls out the curriculum in our school board meetings today. Our Department of Justice has decided to use the FBI to start treating parents that are concerned about the critical race theory they're concerned about the transgender bathroom issue. They are treating parents as if they are domestic terrorists. They're using the full weight of the government to protect their indoctrination. So if you're a parent that is unfortunate enough to have to put your children through public school, then you be insistent that you see the text. You see the libraries. Because Karl Marx is a predator. He is climbing every single library school bookshelf. He's sitting next to your child in class. He's sitting behind the teacher's desk. If you have a child in private school, then I'd be equally as concerned because Karl Marx is behind all forms of our modern education theory in the name of social justice, in the name of common good, be wary of your church. Be wary of the Christian schools, the private schools, the charter schools. Be on the lookout. You see, it's time for society to finally say that they've had enough. It is time for society to finally say, get behind me, Satan. Our nation is in desperate need of a revival. Satan has used this vessel of Karl Marx since 1848 to destroy you, to lead you away from God's face. 
He does it in the name of greater good. So again, in light of what happened last week and the weeks before, I ask you, what greater good has been served for our children here in America today based on the teachings of a man named Karl Marx? I encourage you to look into it. I encourage you to take the time to study, to learn who Karl Marx was, what his ideals were, what his vision was, how poisonous this utopia that he promised has been to the world. Hundreds of millions dead and starved based on this atheistic ideal, this godless ideal. And we stand here today and we demand that we take God out of our schools. And then we act shocked when the children behave so godlessly. It is our fault. But there is hope. There is a chance at redemption, which is not something that Marx ever offered. See, there is forgiveness. There is redemption in Christ. Seek his face. Seek what is just. Seek what our founders sought. Take up the mantle of responsibility. Regain your faith. Regain your footing as a parent. Stand up and say that this cannot continue. This has to end this cycle. This endless cycle of evil. The bloodshed will end. We can grow. We can overcome this but not if we're going to continue down the path that Karl Marx set us on so many years ago. I pray that you took some of this to heart. hope I didn't ramble too much. Maybe next week we can dig into something lighter. But until then, always remember, there is hope. There is redemption. And we can do this together as long we follow Christ his word his redemption and forget the notion of the evil of Karl Marx